Get a new Jeep or Ram for less. Ken Garf, West Valley Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram. Visit them today. All right. We're going to talk jazz with David Locke coming up in a minute. But first, we have to reflect upon the bowl game and the Cougar season as a whole. As BYU loses to Hawaii 38-34. A million things went wrong in the game, and it's a one-possession game. So you can go right down the line and pick out any one of them and say, if this had gone different, then they would have won. So that's the maddening point about the one-possession loss. And I got to say, show of hands, people, how many people thought that was going to be a one-possession loss? Because that looked like it had a chance to get out of hand. BYU had uh, got a three-and-out on Hawaii on the opening possession and then returned the favor with a three-and-out of their own. And then it was on. Hawaii, touchdown, 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 field goal, touchdown into half. Yikes. 31 points at halftime, you're like, they, they, they can't stop these guys. And there are plenty of people tweeting at me, why does BYU rush three and drop eight? Because they don't think they match up with the receivers and they need more bodies back there would be my guess. And actually, they started to get a little pressure out of the three-man rush, which should never happen. And yet, it was starting to happen. They got in there. They nearly had the fumble on that just ripping the ball out Zach of the quarterback's Dodge, arms. I believe you. Yeah. And so they were starting to get a little bit of pressure. But all I could, all I could tweet back at people was, yeah, it's 31 points at halftime. you got to do something different because this isn't working. And so Kalani in a halftime interview said – it was basically about the way they were playing the receivers, and it had to be more physical with them, jam them off the line of scrimmage. You can't just let them run downfield, find a seam, settle in, and catch the ball. And that worked. I got to admit, I'm with you. I probably would have been rushing a fourth guy and taking my chances. But it worked. They started, they started getting stops, and they pitched a shutout for the whole second half, and people were still complaining about it. On, you know, like, wow. You guys, you realize they haven't scored a point yet, so that makes them right. And then, of course, I just think there's a, you know, there's a winning mentality teams have where when it's tied at the end, do you hope to win or do you expect to win? Do you expect something to go right and you make the big play and you win the game? When you know full well it's just one big play is going to win or lose the game. And for BYU, it's interesting that early in the year, they made those big plays. At Tennessee, they made a big play that honestly – they had no right to make. Okay? Hey, the whole defense knows you need a 60-yard pass, and we're in the last couple minutes. Actually, I guess we're in the last minute. And you're going to throw a 60-yard pass. And it's going to work. You had no business making that play. But you made it. And then you could have blown it and lost the game in overtime, but you didn't. You won the game. And then you beat USC in overtime. And you made big plays late in the game. So why do you have problems making a big play at Toledo and South Florida? For the life of me, I won't understand that. Okay, granted, they were road games, but so was Tennessee. And granted, BYU traveled more than you should really ask college kids to travel. And you start to have the injuries pile up, and maybe you're not as good those weeks as you were. But it still doesn't make sense. And we know all those other factors. So if there's one thing to change for BYU, one thing, be better in the clutch in the last five minutes. Be a better fourth-quarter team. Because that Hawaii game, Hawaii needed everything to go right on the last three possessions. They needed you to throw the ball into the turf on third and two. No, I don't understand it. I got zero explanation for you. I'm supposed to find something to talk about and build this topic that can go over a segment, and I can't do it. I look at that play, I got nothing for you. I don't know why they didn't run it. They were running the ball really well in the second half. They should have been able to pick up the two yards with their run game. I think they would have. They had a running back averaging 9.6 yards per carry. Yeah, that, man, man, Twitter came alive with that, didn't it? We all saw that. Yep. And they threw it, and they made the quarterback make a difficult throw to a guy who was behind the line of scrimmage. I don't get it. I can't explain it. Maybe there's an explanation. Maybe a greater football mind down out there is up early on the 27th of December and would like to share and can educate me. Edumacate, one of the best made-up words one of my childhood friends ever came up with. He was a classic at that. Edumacate and let's attend. Do you mean pretend? No, let's attend. I'm pretty sure you mean pretend. Five years old, he's making up words. Edumacate. Did you just say edumacate? Because just saying edumacate means you're not educated. Anyway, he was in the second grade, whatever. 
if there's one thing to wish for in the offseason, it's a lot of these young guys get older, a lot of them more confidence down the stretch, and they play better because there are three games out there. And, man, the difference between 7-6 and six and 10-3 and three is enormous. Now would everything else have gone the same? You know, they were a desperate team when they, when they beat Boise State. And maybe if they'd beaten South Florida and Toledo, I don't know. Maybe they would have been fat and happy. They wouldn't have the edge and wouldn't beaten Boise State. I don't know. But certainly, this team is 7-6. and six, Could have been 8-9, possibly a 10-win team. And it's weird how you play a whole season and you really define who you are through the course of 8, 9, 10, 11 games. The things we say on the radio and the things you come on and say to us change a lot because we know a lot about teams and we've seen how they play. And so we know what the issues are. As opposed to early in the year when we're still guessing two or three games in. And things haven't been completely revealed. Teams haven't been thoroughly scouted on film. Opponents haven't adapted to new guys and all that stuff. But you get 11 games deep, and the feeling of season can change really fast. In this case, because BYU lost the last two games. They went to San Diego State. They were 7-4, and four, and 9-4 and four looked doable. That was totally reasonable expectation. And a lot of Cougar fans this morning are down in the dumps because they're 7-6, and six, not 9-4. and four. It would feel really different. Maybe they should have won the San Diego State game, but it never felt like they were going to. It felt like they could have and should have won in Hawaii. All right, so a lot of you with your takes. And quarterback and coaching are where most of you are going. Roy says as long as the coaching staff insists on playing running backs at quarterback, they will continue to struggle. That bull loss was as bad a team performance as I've ever seen. The only thing the team did at a high level was to avoid penalties. All right, well, there's a lot there, Roy. First off, as long as the coaching staff insists on playing running backs at quarterback, they will continue to struggle. I don't think they're playing running backs at quarterback. I think Zach Wilson is a pass-first quarterback. He will run, but he has games where he runs just a handful of times. And he can run, so I don't want to tell him not to run. He did run 14 times against Hawaii, but that was the only time this year he was in double digits. Given a choice, he will throw the ball. And, And look at the UMass game, a game where they could do anything they wanted. He chose not to run the ball, and he could have. Because they can literally do anything they wanted in that game. Most of the time, he'll run six to eight times a game. I got no issue with that. If you can scramble and get a first down, if you can scramble and get out of bounds and avoid a big hit, do it. You can scramble and get to the end zone, do it. He's not getting 15 or 20 a game. That's When I, when I hear running quarterback, I think 15 carries a game. Because they're running a lot of zone read stuff or option stuff. They just they want to... They want to get him loose into space and run him. I don't think that's what they do with Zach. Now, as far as some of the other quarterbacks, yeah, sometimes, certainly go back to Taysom. And even with the three quarterbacks this year, I mean, they've got different skill sets. Zach's probably in the middle of the three quarterbacks. They've got one who runs more and one who runs less. And the BYU coaches didn't choose to play those guys. They had to because of injuries. You want to have a good year? Use the spring and then use the summer. Pick the starting quarterback. Maybe it's Zach, maybe it's not. I think it ought to be open competition. And at the start, split the reps. And at some point, if a guy earns more reps, then they can be split, you know, 50, 30, 20. You know, 50%, 30%, 20%. Or 60, 40, 0 if one guy plays himself out of it. But early on, I'd start him. I'd tell him. I'd go in the quarterback's room and say, everybody's getting a third of the snaps. Show me you deserve more. Zach's no, younger, no longer a young guy. He's 16 starts into this. Somebody's got to take this job, win it, and dominate. And if they have to keep, I think if you keep rotating quarterbacks, you're going to be on a 7-6 and six treadmill, or possibly worse. And I think the best teams have a quarterback, play a quarterback, and that's the guy. Now, injury doesn't always allow that, but when you look around the Pac-12 this year, since we follow that league pretty closely here and we talk about it a lot, how many quarterbacks played one, or how many teams played one quarterback, how many played two, and how many played three? And BYU had to play three because of injury. you got to figure out a way to keep your guy healthy, and even then you need some luck because crazy things happen. And it just takes one play for everything to go haywire. But Utah and Oregon play the same starting quarterback all year long, and they end up in a conference championship game. And USC plays three quarterbacks, and they don't. 
and ASU had to play two, and Stanford had to play three. UCLA played two. Cal played three. And how did all these teams do? You found a lot of teams right around 500. So, you got to be good, and you got to be lucky. You need a quarterback to seize the job to make it completely obvious. I'm the guy. And maybe that guy will be Zach. He's got 16 starts now, so he may look different in spring ball. He's got two months to hit the weight room, and I don't want to sound like your mom chastising you, but think about what you've done. For better and for worse. This is what I'm good at. This is where I can get better. This is who we got coming back. This is what we can do. And hone in on that. And it's tough. They knew in 2018 that they were going to switch quarterbacks mid-year. They knew they did not want to throw Zach to the Wolves against the start of that schedule. And they knew they wanted to get him games, get him five or six games, so that they didn't have to throw him to the Wolves at the start of this schedule. So that was a given they were going to play two quarterbacks last year, and then injuries forced him to play three this year. But if you're going to have the big year, you got to play one guy. And one guy's got to seize it and really earn it. you got to stop staring guys down. you got to be more consistent. got to see if you can up the completion percentage just a little bit. Not a lot. 62 is not bad. But if you get into the between 65 and 70, you're going to notice the difference on the field. So how do you crank that up just a little bit? Touchdown to interception ratio has got to change. 11 to 9 isn't good enough. And Zach may end up winning the job. Maybe Hall will end up winning the job. Critchlow will not end up winning the job. He's going in the transfer portal. I think you just turn those three quarterbacks loose. All right, we got a lot more people weighing in here. Jared says, it's gone exactly how we knew it would go after leaving the Mountain West Conference and going independent. We got worse, more irrelevant, and recruiting has suffered immensely. Go Jazz. Ah, more irrelevant. Man, you were pretty relevant when you beat Tennessee and USC on back-to-back weeks. I got to say, I was, seeing a lot of, uh, I was seeing a lot of BYU on ESPN studio shows. Now, for whatever reason, Washington owns you. It wasn't a great Washington team, but that was a decisive Washington win. I don't think you were relevant when you were given Boise State their only loss of the year. I think the schedule next year will give you a chance to be relevant. If anything, they bit off a little more than they can chew. I can remember when we had uh, discussions, and Brandon Doman would come on the air and say, BYU will always schedule at least four, if not six, wins. And it looks like it's taken a decade, but it looks like BYU's gone away from that. They didn't schedule automatic wins next year. Half the team is power five, or half the schedule is power five teams. And then it's the top programs from the group of five. Now they may not all be up, and Houston wasn't up this year. So is independent difficult? Yes. But recruiting was always going to change because putting Utah into the Pac-12 was going to bring Pac-12 teams in the Utah fo- footprint. And nobody cleans up. But if a bunch of schools come in and take one guy here and one guy there, it's, it's got an impact. Donald says it sucks going 7-6 and six two years in a row, and it has nothing to do with being independent. This is one of the worst BYU defenses. You need to put in blitz packages and do something besides a three-man rush. On offense, if the running game's working, keep doing it until it's stopped. I love our coach, but he hasn't proven anything to receive an extension. Okay. Are we all familiar with the phrase recency bias? I will give you the last two games sucked. And you know why? Because the last two games sucked. But you were 7-4 and four with a chance to go 9-4. and four. And nobody was complaining about the three-man rush when USC was looking at a three-man rush and throwing interceptions. When Slovis quit throwing it, throwing it to the Cardinal and Gold, he started throwing it to the Blue and White, nobody thought Kalani sucked. So you got to look at the whole season. To me, this is the frustrating thing about BYU. If you gave me BYU-Utah season, and forget the total number of wins. And I know you won't do that, and social media will explode if people are awake at 8.15 in the morning. But if you forget total number of wins, because obviously you'd rather have 11 wins, and maybe the Utes will get 12, but you'd rather have 11 wins than 7. But set that aside. Some Ute fans are frustrated because they didn't beat the best teams on their schedule. Right? They beat 11 teams that had seven wins or less, and then they lost 
to an eight-win team. And, and I realize Washington has now messed up the math on this by winning their bowl game and getting to eight wins. But in the 12-game regular season, they beat the teams with seven wins or less. USC at eight and Oregon 11, they didn't beat them. But to me, that says you got the most out of your talent. Now, you can wish you had more talent, but when you had more talent, you beat them. And against the most talented teams, you didn't win. That USC receiver group was more talented than your secondary. They made more plays, so they won the game. They were actually just showing SC video on ESPN this morning. We got it on here in the studio because of previewing USC-Iowa tonight. And sure enough, they showed Pittman scoring big play touchdowns. You know, the guy to watch. If you're, they had an NFL, one of their NFL draft guys on there, McShay. A guy to watch, Michael Pittman Jr. You think? <laughs> McShay's like, easy pickings here. This isn't the hardest thing I've ever worked on in my life. Watch this guy. He's going to play in the NFL. And they literally had to make a big plays against everybody. It went right through the SC schedule. And sure enough, there's a big play against the Utes, there's a big play against the Cougars, and right on, there's a big play against Oregon State, and they just kept going through. Here's a big play against everybody. He beats everybody. SC was better. And Oregon's offensive line was better than your D-line. And the D-line was awesome, but they got pushed around. And when you get pushed around as a D-line, you lose. But I feel like the Utes got the most out of their talent. BYU, I didn't feel like they got the most out of the talent. It was a total roller coaster. How do you beat USC but lose to Toledo? How do you beat the third-best team in a Pac-12 and lose to a team in the middle of the MAC? I got nothing for you. And I know they traveled a lot, but that still doesn't explain it. On the one hand, you got Tennessee, USC, and Boise State. Three wins that I think we'll be talking about five years from now. They beat Boise State and kept Boise State out of the New Year's Six. That, now, Boise State got a single loss in the bowl game, but Boise State was that close to another undefeated regular season, and BYU took them down. That was a big win. SC was a big win, and BYU doesn't have that many wins at SEC schools they can throw any of them back. And honestly, Tennessee played better later and actually put together a decent season. I mean, it didn't look like it at the time. It looked like it was a disaster, and, and they were ticketed for a nine-loss season and miss a bowl and fire a coach. And, you know, the, it's the problem with being independent is you don't keep following teams once BYU's played them. But Tennessee rallied and ended up with a winning record, both overall and a conference, 7-5 and five and 5-3. Five and three. So if BYU doesn't do that, Tennessee's an eight-win team? That's a good win. So you got those wins, but then you got Hawaii... South Florida and Toledo. So to me, yes, there's a talent issue at BYU. There's a talent issue everywhere except LSU, Ohio State, and Clemson. Everybody else had talent issues. Alabama? Alabama, talent issue, depth of quarterback. Okay, you're right. I'll give you that. I'm nitpicking. Granted, I'll just plead guilty to that. But depth of quarterback. Oklahoma doesn't have enough good guys on defense. So you got three, maybe four schools... And that's it, right? Because you could argue Alabama had the depth of quarterback and Hurts transferred. Or they'd have been good to go. So I'm not going to argue they don't need more talent because they do need more talent. They need to send more guys to the NFL. But if you got enough talent to be Boise State, Tennessee, and USC, I'm thinking you could have picked off one game out of South Florida, Toledo, and Hawaii. Now, some of those, it, it, it doesn't, come as any, uh, doesn't come as any surprise that mostly the good wins came early and the bad losses came late, with the overlap being Boise, the Boise State win came after South Florida and Toledo. Because BYU does need more talent, and they did get hurt by lack of depth. I don't think we can all agree on running back. They definitely got hurt there, and having to play three quarterbacks hurt. But the Toledo game was basically lost before they had their first quarterback injury. And he was healthy again by the Hawaii game. So even the bad losses, I don't want to put that much on quarterback play. I'll put them somewhat. Certainly hurts it South Florida. But that would be the frustrating thing to me, is that BYU left wins on the table. I don't feel like Utah left wins on the table. Utah got beat by teams that had better units, more talent, and those units... Determine who won the game. USC's receivers, Oregon's offensive line. But isn't that the reason to be a little optimistic about BYU? There's a little more, there's something to get out of there. And you're going to have a junior quarterback next year if Wilson wins the job. 
They have a junior quarterback with 16 starts. If not, somebody beats him out. I do think it should be an open competition at quarterback next year. All right, we've got to take a break. David Locke's coming up next. We'll talk with him about the Jordan Clarkson acquisition, talk with him about the Jazz after the win over the Blazers, and Joe Ingles is coming up. Stay with us. And now, attention, top of the wire on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Utah Jazz blow a 23-point lead. Portland shaves it down to a single point. But the Jazz execute in the final minutes and hold on to win 121-115. to 115. Donovan Mitchell, a huge game, 35 points. Joe Ingles came out on fire. He finished with 26 points. Rudy Gobert, 16 points, 15 rebounds. And the block shot on Damian Lillard that sealed the win. Jazz are off today. They play the Clippers tomorrow night, 8.30 in L.A. Pre-game show starts at 7.30. Also tomorrow, BYU hosts Oral Roberts at the Marriott Center, 7 o'clock on BYU TV. Weaver State opens Big Sky Play in Ogden against Eastern Washington at 2 o'clock. Utah State hosts Eastern Oregon at 2 o'clock. You can listen to the game on the Zone Sports Network with the pregame show at 1.30. I think we all look forward to Scotty G breaking down Eastern Oregon for half an hour on the pregame show. I know I do. And by the way, I'm not kidding. Top of the Wire brought to you by Action Plumbing. Call Action Plumbing to get your preseason furnace tune-up and safety check for $33 by calling Action Plumbing at 801-833-3333 or going to actionplumbing.net. This, this, this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's what you want. They've got huge auctions in Meridian. Right on the edge of Boise, they do some really big auctions. Not the storage auctions, but, oh. but sightseeing Oh, auctions. yeah, yeah. Because honestly, you go to one of those storage unit places up in Idaho, and it's just like, oh, yeah, you don't want that. All right, this meth lab goes for $100. I don't understand all these bottles of iodine. Wow. Yeah. You're going deep. I had a girlfriend that was arrested and put in prison for a long time. Um, so Wait a minute. No, you Wait know that. <laughs> I know know it. Uh, My first kiss went to prison for 30-some-odd years for... It's true. ...a very large meth lab. That's kind of a rough first kiss. This kiss, this kiss, unstoppable. This kiss, this kiss. Catch Hans and Scotty every day from noon to three. Presented by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Your guests will notice your toes to thank you. Call Zero Rest for a holiday carpet cleaning. Just $33 per room and your fourth room's free. December only. Happy holidays from your friends at Zero Rest. Call them at 801-288-9376. Time to talk a little jazz basketball with David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. David, good morning. Good morning, DJ. How are you? Excellent. Look at you. Thanks for your, thanks for your beautiful Christmas card and your fabulous family. Oh, well. Right back at you. So... Two moves. How does it change the Jazz? What are they going to look like a month from now? Merry Christmas. Something brand new for you to talk about. you got to love that. Because I know I do. Um, yeah, probably you love it more than I do. Um, I have I have an easy job. I just talk about what they're doing on the floor every night. Um, you have to discuss stuff. Um, so, I mean, I think Jordan Clarkson is going to be able to have a significantly larger impact than what Dante Exum was going to have. Um, Dante uh, was rehabbing again and was probably at a point in which he just needs to go play for 20 minutes a night somewhere and try to get his sea legs underneath him and regain some confidence and figure out what he can do and uh, make a million mistakes and get better from it. And that's just not something um, that, that was going to happen in Utah this year. And so they're just, you know, with this team trying to win games, you just did not have the the area for him to go do that for 20 minutes a night. Not to mention that the, um, I think there was a feeling, um, well, I think that's enough. I mean, I think, you know, so, and then I'm not sure what position he would have played with the roster construction the way it was anyway. Um, so, it, there wasn't a path for him to get time. So if you're able, you're able to trade him. Um, if he doesn't turn out to be a player, you're out from under, you know, two years of his contract as well, which is pretty incredible. And you've picked up a guy who, you know, is a bucket getter. Um, his career in Jordan Clarkson is really an interesting one. That as much as I love to go dig into every number and try to analyze a player, I find almost impossible to do because David he hasn't played on bad teams. He's played on 
the worst teams. <laughs> he's played on teams that win less games over 82 games than Utah and BYU do in a college season. Almost every year. Like his Lakers teams won 21, 19, and I think 17. And then he goes and plays 28 games during the regular season with the Cleveland Cavaliers while they're making a finals run. Does quite well. I think he shoots 46% from the field and 41% from three and plays about 24 minutes a night and scores about 12 points a game. And, it's really, and then has a, has a horrific playoff run where he doesn't, he doesn't shoot well and, and doesn't play well. And then by the end of the playoff run, the Cavaliers are swept. LeBron moves on to L.A. And guess what he's back on? He's back on a NBA team that wins less games than colleges. And I don't know. I don't know how you evaluate a player who's been through that. I've always found it very difficult. It's, you know, we always talk about the Sacramento Kings and what happens if a player goes somewhere. On one level, it's easy to say, you know, what a player is a player is and, and how they use their individual possession won't translate one place to another. And, and I actually kind of fundamentally believe that. But I also think, just on a human nature level, that if you're if you really care, like so you're a great basketball player, you make it to the NBA, and you really care, and you really care about winning, and you're going to go lose 60 of your 82 games, you better start caring about something else, or you're going to go crazy. And so I think it's going to be really interesting to watch how he, Jordan Clarkson, melds into this Jazz team, evolves his game or doesn't, and plays in games that matter. He's done it. He's been in the league for, I think, seven years. He's played 28 regular season games that matter. So those 28 games, he shot the three much better than he shot at any other point in his career. He's had a couple, like, you know, okay, 37% in part of a season this year, but there's a lot of 32s and 33s out there, which isn't good enough. But, to your point... He was on bad teams. They probably, and I'm not watching him every night, but they probably weren't creating space, getting him open, catch and shoot threes. And you can imagine that on a LeBron team that's getting ready for another deep playoff run, he did get those looks and he shot 40% in the regular season. Now the playoffs are different, but he'd never been in the playoffs before. And lots of players struggle the first time in their playoffs. So I can't even go nuts about that. So do you think he can be a a good three-point shooter? Because at 37%, you're pretty useful. And if you're at 40%, you can play in the NBA for a long time because everybody wants somebody who can shoot 40% from three. And most teams don't have two guys who can do that. So, so this is one area where I do think the analytics – and it's not even – that's such a silly word. Basic. Um, it's not even analytics. It's just basic numbers that are available to everyone at this point. I mean, there's nothing – there's nothing super creative about what I'm doing here. But if you go look at Jordan Clarkson's numbers between his catch and shoot and his off-the-bounce three over the last four years, it's pretty dramatic. Okay? So this year, when you – and this is to your point. So I think this is where he has to evolve a little bit. Or he just has to – so this year he's 40% on catch and shoot, and he's 30% if he takes a three off the bounce. Now, most people in the league are this, but this is a little bigger than most. Uh, last year was 37-27. The year prior was 38-30. Okay? So over since the 17-18 season, and frankly, I can take it back to the 16-17 season, he's been 36% is the worst catch and shoot he was in 16-17. He's been you know, nearly a 38 to 40% catch and shoot three-point shooter, and he's been about a 30% or less off-the-bounce three-point shooter. If he can skew that number now that he's playing on a better team and take more of those threes that are catch-and-shoots because this team will actually move the ball and he's playing on a team that does the right thing, then I think that those numbers are pretty real, that he's going to be somewhere from 36 to 40% on catch-and-shoot, and that would be terrific. Now, this team is so super that... Anything below 40 makes, other than Emmanuel Moody, makes him the least good catch-and-shoot player on the team. I mean, the numbers for this team from a catch-and-shoot standpoint are just ridiculous. But that still has great value um, if you're, you know, over 36% on that. So that would be great. Um, and then I think, you know, he has a really – he has a unique number that I do think analy- – this, again, you know, or that just shows you the player – 
when and we saw it last night when he comes off two things about him in the pick and roll in his numbers one is he uses the pick almost every time which for our offense is really good that was you know if you go back to ab they're probably similar players if you go back to ab um, one of the struggles with AB was AB didn't like to take the pick, right? He, he he would prefer to reject the pick. Well, the offense is really built that you're taking the pick and guys are spaced in certain spots and Rudy's rolling in the right spot. And I mean, they even now have plays where, you know, players are intentionally snaking behind the pick in a certain way, which mm-hmm. changes Rudy's role. Like they're really reading each other. Well, if you're, if you don't know, talked to numerous players when AB was on the team, we used to say, I love AB. I don't know where, if he doesn't know where he's going to go, then I don't know where he's going to go. Well, if you know this guy's going to go off the pick because he goes off the pick, you know, 97% of the time so far this year in a pick and roll, I believe he's gone off the pick. Um, that's great. The other one that's really interesting about him, David, is so far this year, when he goes off the pick, he goes to the basket 33% of the time. Okay, so, like, you've never heard that number. What does it mean? Donovan's 20%. Russell Westbrook is 30%. And Jordan Clarkson's 33% of the time he comes off a pick this year, he goes to the rim. So he's aggressive. All right, one last thing, then we got to let you go because Joe Ingles has got to pop on here real quick. Uh, Joe's coming so you're up saying next. That you're saying Joe's more important than that. That is exactly what I'm saying, precisely. You read me like a book. Joe Ingles <laughs> is pretty much more important than all of us. So <laughs> I've, been, I've been known to give you a short answer. All right, but I want to ask you about Joe because obviously – Everyone's defending the pick and roll. You know, the emphasis now is drop the big man and take away the layups and dunks, right? And it makes it harder for Donovan to get to the bucket and finish. And it looks to me, and my untrained eye, like the answer to this, and we're seeing early in the game, is Joe's in the pick and roll. Now, he's a little taller, so it's a little easier to finish him inside. And when everyone drops, he's dribbling back out, reusing the screen, dribbling back out and taking a three off the dribble. You were just tweeting... On the morning after Christmas, about how hard it is for most guys to make off the dribble threes, and they're just not a very efficient shot. And he comes out and hits two against Portland right away. And I don't think he's had living. I think this is part of the plan. How much am I right about this? How much am I missing? How much is this going to work to defeat this new strategy that the Jazz are seeing? Um, so if I see things in practice that I'm fortunate enough to have access to, I'm not allowed to talk about them. So why don't you ask Joe that question? <laughs> um, okay, that's an answer in itself. Thank you. <laughs> and um, the off-the-bounce three on Joe's is really the game-changer right now because he was about – to start the year, he was taking many more off-the-bounce threes than catch-and-shoot threes than he had at any other point in his career. It was about even 50-50, and usually it was about – you know, 80-20 or 75-25 to catch and shoot. And unfortunately, he was shooting 24%. He was about, for a period of time, there was a third or first, fourth worst off-the-bounce three-point shooter in the NBA. Um, he's worked really, really hard with Vince LaGarza on that shot, and it, that is the shot that, you know, is when his catch and shoot goes in, it should not be a surprise to anyone. He's he's at a ridiculous level right now. Um, and But he always has been, right? That's always He's always been elite in that category. Um, the off-the-bounce three that you're talking about and how he's working himself into that shot is something that's a bit different, and it um, and it is opening up opportunities for him. I have not updated this since, I believe, before the Miami game where he was good as well. But I'm guessing on catch-and-shoot threes, Joe is somewhere in the range of uh, probably something around like 14 of his last 20. That's ridiculous. That'll work, too. Yeah, that yeah. <laughs> they're, they're guys who can't do that he at was, the free throw. Going line. into Miami, he was 10 of his last 14 on catch-and-shoot threes. Yeah. So it, I'm just kind of guessing. All right, we're going to get Joe Ingles on here uh, momentarily. David, thanks for your time, and we talked to you for a few more minutes, but we literally <laughs> we literally have a bigger name on another line. <laughs> well, wish, wish him Merry Christmas for me. Okay. You had a chance okay. to do that yourself, but I can do that for you. Okay. All right. Hey, thank you, David. We appreciate it. David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Joe Ingles usually joins us on Thursdays, but we weren't on the air Thursday, so that made it impossible. So he joins us today, fresh off a massive game, and I always, uh, I always give, give Joe a hard time about this. You know, I was, hey, Joe, can you have a big game before you come on? Because it's easier to joke around and mess around with you when you win. When you lose, nothing's funny. 
Nobody, nobody likes that. But you need to have a you need to have a big game. And so he goes for 26 points and the Jazz win. Perfect timing by Joe. Hey, yeah. This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush. And it's time to hear from the best looking, most charismatic, and certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Joe Ingles gives it back to Joe till the cop slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show (laughs) with DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. The Joe Ingles Show is brought to you by your hardworking friends at Mountainland Supply. For all your plumbing and irrigation needs, go to mountainlandsupply.com. Time to welcome in Joe now. Joe, good morning. Good morning. How are we doing? We are doing well this morning, you. Uh, good. How long does a uh, that feel-good buzz, the adrenaline rush of playing well and helping your team well and helping your team win and, and doing it all at home where the crowd's going nuts, how long does that last and how long before you move by it and it's, uh, it's just another day? Um, I mean, it's probably different for everyone. <laughs> As uh, bad as it sounds, it's it's pretty quick for me. Um, uh, I think kind of win or lose, um, or if you play well or you don't play up to the play. Um, it was a especially I guess last night too. It's a later night um, with a, an eight thirty game, and, and obviously being on national TV takes a bit longer. And by the time the game finished, I had a couple friends there from. Australia that I said hello to and um, came home and tried to go to sleep as soon as I could because I was up with the kids at uh, 7.30 or whatever. So, um, yeah, just yeah, as fun as it is and obviously the, the adrenaline's still there, you get home and you, you can't just go right to sleep. But um, it's also what's kind of kept the perspective for me more since having the kids just... Um, Realizing there's there's a lot more than than just basketball. You know, some of the stuff that happens in basketball, it just happens really fast, and you just got to ad lib and recognize the moment and seize it. And other stuff is really meticulously planned, and it happens for really specific reasons. And I was curious watching uh, the start of the uh, the Blazer game. You were running pick and rolls, and you make a habit of. Uh, when you dribble, you're going somewhere for a reason, usually. Some guys dribble and don't go anywhere and kind of drift, but that's not the way you play. Usually when you're dribbling, you're going somewhere. And to watch you dribble into a pick and roll and then dribble into another one, you know, use the screen a second time, and then back up, I know there's been an issue with teams dropping their big and taking away layups. And when I see you dribbling into multiple step-back threes, I'm thinking, number one, he's not just doing that. He's probably, you know, this is probably a focus with the coaching staff and practice. And number two... Dribbling into a step back three is probably the hardest shot to make in basketball, and you made two of them right away. So I'm curious how much you've had to work on it individually, and how much is this the kind of the the answer to the big man dropping this year, and you guys getting defended differently? Yeah, I mean, it's um, I think it's the the thing I kind of talked about in my exit meeting was um, obviously with the playoffs and that, and the team sending me right and. Um, yeah, it was something I needed to, to get better at, and, and more than anything, kind of more confident. That I, I'd been through what what coach the system and stuff that we play. I'd always been able to get back to my left hand with the the offense that we've got, and, um, the position that that he put me in. But then, um, obviously, during the playoffs, it kind of turns up to another level, and the, the scouts a lot harder and higher and focused. And um, that was one of the things that I. I knew I had to, to get better at and, and more confident taking that shot. I don't know kind of before this year and probably a little bit last year how many times I would have actually shot the ball going to my right. Um, it was just, yeah, getting comfortable with that. And I think spending the off-season and having Vince come down to Australia and then obviously coming back here and, and continuing kind of what we, we started um, in the off-season. And I actually said to him, Last night, I think the first three I missed, I shot going left and actually felt more uncomfortable shooting going to my left because I've done so many repetitions of going to my right because that's what I know that they're going to eventually kind of do. And um, but a lot of teams now, it's pretty consistent that uh, 
they go under the pick and roll going to my left, which is trying to stop my penetration and um, that kind of creating. And then they chase over going right because they know I don't want to, or have been, in the past, I haven't wanted to, to make a play going to my right. So um, it's been a pretty consistent kind of theme this year. And um, like, I, like I said, I've, I've worked on it a lot. I've spent a lot of time in the gym doing it to, to be able to be effective at it. Um, and yeah, I feel like it's, it's kind of slowly coming together. So let's throw a bone to all the uh, youth coaches, the AAU coaches, the uh, high school players who uh, listen to this live or listen to it later when they uh, download it. I am curious how, when you say there's a lot of repetition, do you do this 100 times a day, six days a week? Do you do it 50 times a day, three or four times a week? I mean, how much repetition went into this to get you to the point where you can do it in a game pretty flawlessly? Oh, I mean, off seasons obviously a ton more than than during the season. Um, I mean, I was I was with Vince kind of a couple of hours on the court each day um, in the off season while he was down, and and then um, the guys that were working me out once once Vince had left. Um, and then I, I guess the hard part, obviously, during the season, you're you're playing games and traveling and doing all that. Sometimes we don't have a gym on the road or whatever it is. And, um, or we've played back-to-backs or whatever the schedule is. So you're just trying to find kind of any time you can. And um, I mean, you might have seen it on shoot-around you know, shoot days. I've got a little routine that I do. Obviously, pre-game, we've got a little routine. So I think I think during the – once the season starts, you've you've kind of – you not are who you are, but you, you've, you, you can't be spending – um, especially if you're, you're playing big minutes or you're in the rotation, you can't be spending two hours in the gym trying to um, to work on something after a, a practice. So, um, pre uh, post practice and pre practice, we always get some time. Obviously, the, the pre game shoot around everyone sees. Um, but I've got a little routine which we, we've talked about before. Of every guy kind of has their little routine. And mine includes those shots going to my right. So it, it's something that I basically do every day now. Um, I'll do it today when we go into the gym before we, we fly out. I obviously did it a couple of times yesterday because it was posted around and then pre-game. Um, and then, yeah, back. So um, I, don't know, I, wouldn't, I don't know the, the time frame on it, but it's, it's at least every day. Sometimes it's a couple of times a day. All right. Well, for anybody who wants to, you know, anybody who's 15 years old out there trying to add that to the game, that's how hard you have to work to get that good at it. Um, you know, one of the other things that's a, a wild card in all this is the NBA and, and players come and go and uh, they always move on and there's always a new guy coming in. How much do you know about Jordan Clarkson from playing against him for a few years and how much do you just not know him and it'll take a few road trips and hang out and how much do you just jam him up anyway because you're Joe Ingles and what the heck? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, obviously from, from uh, only playing against him, um, I've always, I think Donaldson, he's always kind of been one of those like tougher covers on defense because he he just goes out and plays and he's aggressive and he and I think that you saw that last night he, he comes out he credit to him as well he he didn't didn't pass his physical he didn't do shoot around with us he got here I think yesterday morning did do shoot around basically came right to the gym put his jersey on and, and played um, and actually he, he I mean he, he was percentage wire from the field wasn't great but I think the way he played and the shots he took and the um, the situations he got kind of put in and um, was his, was what we got him for. He he kind of came out. He made his first shot. He was aggressive taking the three. He he got in the lane a couple of times and 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 kicked into the corner for shots. And um, that's what we need him to do. We we need him to be aggressive. We don't want him to um, to not be himself because um, he's had a, a successful career playing the way he plays so I think as a team and, and myself and individuals in our team and the coach staff can help him and, and obviously get him up to speed with our system and I think he'll be, be more and more effective the more comfortable he feels within the system Joe Ingles joining us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone so uh, Ray John Tucker not exactly your story but kind of your story 
undrafted, overlooked. He played in the G League. You played in Europe. Now you did it for longer than he did. Uh, what can you do to help someone like him acclimate to the NBA? Uh, yeah, same thing. I think the more the more he's around us, the more he's with the team. Uh, same thing. He he had his he was that shooting around. He had his physical a bit earlier and, and was able to come and um, got to, to kind of watch shoot around and, and see a little bit of, of the, the system and that and um, I think like he said in his, his media just watching film and, and talking to guys and getting guys to um, help him at practice obviously can, can get him up to speed but um, we, we've got the same agent so I'd heard a bit more about him kind of coming into it and, um, my agent called me when we'd signed him and was was excited for our team so it's um obviously i i trust my my agent and then when he's excited about someone it's it's hard not to be so um he, he was playing unbelievable um in the g league um obviously has has deserved and, and earned this this contract so obviously you and dante have the australian connection you were teammates for years so you spent a lot of time together uh, what do you say to him as he leaves how do you reach out to him how does that work yeah, it was. I mean, it's tough. Um, it's funny, obviously, our situation of, of us kind of coming in together and um, that old kind of. I guess we'll we'll have to ask Dennis one day or whatever. But if I was really coming in to to babysit him, and um, I've ended up staying here now longer than him. But yeah, I mean, we obviously we we found out he found out we found out right before the the game in Miami. Um, and I was actually stretching, and he was like, "Go, come here." And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm str- like, I'm stretching. Like, I'll talk to you after. Like, you can wait. Like, there's nothing <laughs> that important right now." And he was like, and then he came over and he was like, "Oh, I just, uh, I've been traded." So, um, everyone kind of got to see him, obviously, in in Miami, and, and kind of say goodbye to him. And um, I guess for yeah, I think it's, uh, I think for him, it's 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 good. I think it's a, a good fresh start for him. Um, I think he was he was very unlucky with some of the, the freak injuries. Some of the stuff he had is um, is is rare in the league and um, and, and uncontrollable. Um, it's not like he was out there doing anything silly or stupid and, and got hurt. He, he had some freak things, and he um, credit to him for for working so hard for for so long. It's frustrating, I think, as, a, as an athlete and. I've been lucky not to, to have to go through it as, as or really at all. But um, when you're continuously getting injured and you're, you're working your ass off to, to get back and get to 100% and then get an opportunity to get out there and play and, and then get hurt again. And I mean, I think for him, like, uh, I think the thing that stands out for me is that stretch um, last year before he rolled his ankle in Detroit and um, just was starting to, to be confident in showing why the Jays drafted him. He, he was a huge impact for us for for a, a long stretch there before kind of a, a same thing. He just landed on someone's foot and did his ankle pretty bad. So, um, yeah, I think he's had a lot of bad luck. I think it's a, a great fresh start for him. And um, obviously, I, I wish him all the best as, as a friend more than anything. Um, and I'll keep in contact with him. And um, hopefully we, we play them soon and we can, can see him out there. You got a game coming up with the Clippers, and obviously you're on a good stretch here. I think you won six out of seven, seven out of nine. A lot of those wins are against teams with sub-500 records. You guys played, I thought, played pretty well against Miami, but weren't able to win the game. The Clippers are more in you know, Miami's class. Maybe they're a little better than Miami. We'll have to see how that shakes out in the end. What do you have to do to get the win here? Because it seems like the bar is set higher for that game than it is for most of these other games you've been playing in this stretch. Yeah, I mean, they've they're playing at a at a really high level this year. Um, I mean, any road game itself is is tough. Um, obviously, against one of the I think they're second, their record second in the league or whatever they are at the moment. Those two guys with, with Paul George and Kawhi, and then they've got some kind of role players slash the Lou and and Montrez off the bench who are who are playing unbelievable as well uh, with with those role players. Kind of understand who they are and, and how they want to play, and um, yeah, it'll be a, be a good challenge for us because we uh, I think we've been playing well, and a few people have mentioned it's been against sub 
500 regular obviously that's out of our control we, we play who's in front of us and um, it, I record or not or, or whatever it's um, it's funny that if, like a lot of these <laughs> there's a lot of a lot of really good teams and players in this league and um, to, to go on whatever seven and nine or whatever it is we've done um, it's good it's good for our team and, and obviously the way we're playing but we'll, we'll have a, a pretty tough challenge in LA and I think I think the guys are looking forward to it I think um, we'll, we'll get to get um, Jordan in today and, and kind of get through some more stuff and he can watch some film and obviously he'll feel more comfortable and um, yeah we'll just keep keep getting better as a group as we, we go along this little journey so do you have to FaceTime people for like three hours on Christmas? You got so many people, you know, in Australia. How does that work? The rest of us, you know, trade photos, maybe face FaceTime with somebody. But I'm thinking for you, that must be like a big chunk of Christmas Day. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, um, well, obviously it was the day before in Australia. So the 24th night we were getting some calls and stuff. Obviously the, that was the, the kind of the, the day of the 25th in Australia. So... Um, spoke to a lot of people then and obviously it's not really them speaking to us it's them seeing the kids and um, how excited the kids were with, with Christmas and um, and then obviously for us on the 25th it's the, the day after there and um, we have more people obviously again trying to same thing just, just seeing, seeing the kids open their presents and, and playing with them and, um, it's not really about when you get a bit older which I quickly realize it's not really about you anymore it's about the kids having a, a good day and um yeah we were, we were glad that the twins had a had an unbelievable few days and um santa was was very good to them so um yeah it was a good couple of days we've got renee's family renee's mum and dad coming in today for a, for a couple of weeks to, to spend some time with the kids and and probably their daughter um but more the kids um so it's been good it's been a good few days well, Joe, I uh, hope you had a Merry Christmas then, and I hope you have a Happy New Year, and we will talk to you in 2020. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Joe. Joe Ingles joined us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Joe Ingles and David Locke back-to-back. Thanks to David for hanging up so quick so we could get Joe on. And now you may have noticed we haven't played a commercial in about 32 minutes. Yuck, what are you doing next? Well, we got a big break coming up, so we'll talk about giving away tickets here in a minute. We do have some tickets to give away. Absolutely. If you're looking for something to do Friday or Saturday night, we are going to hook you up. And we'll tell you about that next on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.